Praise the Lord. This is Philip Del Rey from Voice in the Wilderness Ministries. We are bringing another radio program to you today. Our program is entitled Speaking the Truth in Love. Today we've got a very important topic that we're going to cover. The title of the message is Beware of the Leaven of the Pharisees. Surprisingly to most people, 30% of the Gospels are dedicated to this group known as the Pharisees. Why would God use that much time to teach us about this group called the Pharisees? Well, the fact is there's something for us to learn here, and it's something very important. You know, I believe that there's a little bit of the Pharisees in all of us, and that's why this is so important. We're all recovering Pharisees. The fact is many people are very confused. On one end, we have legalists, and on the other end of the spectrum, we've got the Gracies who think you can live any way you want to since Christ died for your sins, and the legalists think that uh, you have to obey the law to get saved. So without any further ado, let's get into today's broadcast and today's teaching. God bless you. I'd like to begin by sharing a true story that I heard from Larry Burkett, the late, great, in my opinion, Larry Burkett. Larry Burkett was privileged to assist a Chinese pastor who was touring churches in America. And this Chinese pastor had toured some of the largest and wealthiest churches in the United States. At one of the last churches they toured, one of Larry's friends looked at this pastor who was wearing a suit that was much too large and shoes that were much too large and said, Larry, why don't you buy this pastor a suit? And Larry said, well, I have, but every time I do, he gives it away. Well, the point to this story is that the man asked this Chinese pastor, you've toured the largest, wealthiest churches in America. What is it about our churches that most impresses you? And without hesitation, this Chinese pastor said, what impresses me most about the American church is how much you've been able to accomplish without God. There's a direct correlation between what that pastor saw and what Jesus called the leaven of the Pharisees. One fascinating thing to me is the answer to the question, how, how is it that Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or Muslims or Buddhists or Hindus, how is it that, that there's so many of them who have gotten involved in this religion and gone on to live moral lives? You know, they offer that as a testimony to the legitimacy of those religions. And the answer is, it's the leaven of the Pharisees. How could the Pharisees have lived such moral lives, such lives of, of dedication, if they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit? And the answer is, it's the power of religion. It's the religious spirit. Satan loves religion. God hates religion. It was the religious people that murdered Jesus. Now, of course, we all murdered Jesus because he, he died on the cross for our sins. But uh, humanly speaking, it was the Pharisees who made the arrangements for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ because they were so intensely jealous of his ministry, because they were so covetous to be known as the spiritual leaders of their day. Religion feeds the human ego. It feeds pride. That is why so many pastors and preachers and people who are in, uh, in the public eye are so vulnerable 
to the sin of pride. It's the same spirit of pride that caused Lucifer to think that he could exalt himself above the throne of God. All of the major world religions are basically three-dimensional. Upwards in prayer towards God, inward in some form of self-denial, and outward towards our fellow man. The problem is that these acts of piety, while they can be good, the problem is that they can also be seen by men. And that's where the problem arises because our human tendency toward loving the praise of men is very real. And as a result, true spirituality can become a show for people to see rather than genuine spiritual devotion to God, which is a matter of the heart, which is something that only he can see. That is precisely why Jesus told us that when you pray, go into your secret closet of prayer. He said the same thing about giving alms. Don't sound the trumpet before you when you give alms as the hypocrites do, that they might be seen by men. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying in public. What Jesus was warning against was the pretense involved in that type of thing. In Matthew 16:11, Jesus tells us, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Well, what comes to your mind when you think of the Pharisees? Most of the pictures that we have of them are overwhelmingly negative. We think of hypocrites, people that are self-righteous, judgmental, legalistic, and proud. John the Baptist called them blind, brood of vipers, sons of hell, serpents. Jesus himself, incarnate love, said they were fools, murderers, whitewashed sepulchers, and filled with dead men's bones. Why is so much space given to the Pharisees? Most people are not aware of this, but approximately 30% of the Gospels are dedicated to this group of arrogant, prideful, legalistic Judaizers who were actually enemies of the cross. What is it that we can learn from these arrogant hypocrites? I mean, why not spend this space teaching me things that are more relevant to me in my spiritual walk? Well, much biblical truth is found in the lives of its characters. And these characters are not just there to show me what I should look like, but they're there to show me what I do look like. In Matthew, almost as much space is devoted to the Pharisees as to the apostles. Now, when you compare yourself or you think of yourself uh, in the light of some of the biblical characters, who do you compare yourself to? Many people would say, I see a lot of Peter and me, or I see a lot of Thomas. But do we ever dare compare ourselves to the Pharisees? God forbid. But these things were written for our instruction. And there are many striking similarities between us and the Pharisees. Consider this. They were very serious about their religion. They were committed to the Bible. They were committed to thinking and acting biblically. They were determined to get people back to the Bible. They had the highest regard for morality. They were strong proponents of biblical, biblically-based education for their children. They had a passion for discipleship, Bible study, evangelism, prayer, fasting, and tithing. 
Ladies and gentlemen, these men knew their Bibles like the backs of their hands, and when it was time to go to synagogue or the temple, i.e. church, they never missed. They hated sin with passion. They're, they pursued holiness. They were some of the most upstanding, uh, finest citizens in their cities, and their desire was to obey the Bible meticulously. The Pharisees were, in fact, the Protestants of their day. They grew in response to Hellenism, which was the Greek version of secular humanism. The word Pharisee stands for a separated or a pure life, and that is what they believed in. They would not be assimilated by the culture. They separated themselves and dedicated themselves to their religion. By all human standards, the Pharisees would be the finest Christians in our churches today and no doubt would be the elders and deacons in our churches today. And in fact, many are. So what do we learn from these Pharisees? God wanted to make it absolutely clear how religion can degenerate into a dead formalism. It is common for people to honor God with their lips, but have hearts that are far from him. We tend to compare ourselves to the noble characters of the Bible and what would not think of looking for parallels between the Pharisees and ourselves. So what's the point? Seeing the truth is freeing. It's truth that sets you free. The Pharisees were very well-meaning people. Their intentions were good. They received such harsh treatment from Jesus, not because they were so far from God, but because they were so close to him and they missed it. Tom Hovestall, in his excellent book called Seeing Ourselves in the Pharisees, Extreme Righteousness, put it this way. They couldn't see the forest of truth because of the trees of their own self-righteousness. How does that happen? When tradition slash culture dominate church ministry even over the Bible. That reminds me of the Roman Catholics which put their, uh, their man-made traditions on par with the Bible. Another way that this happens, Phariseeism, is when you're apathetic towards God and cruel towards people. Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. This reminds me of Micah 6.8, which says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God? This happens when there's a difference between your public life and your private life. A person is what he is when no one is looking. This happens when you're driven by the desire to make a name for yourself more than a name for God. Jesus made himself of no reputation. You become a Pharisee when you love the praise of men more than the praise that comes from the only God. Jesus said, how can you believe when you seek the praise of men, but do not seek the praise that comes from the only God? Jesus could not be offended.
because he had no ego, he had no pride. To the degree that you are easily offended, that is the degree that you walk in the flesh rather than in the spirit. Another point we learn from the Pharisees is this. How could they have lived such moral lives without the power of the Holy Spirit? How did they manage to exercise such discipline and self-control? This is a fascinating truth. They did it the same way a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, a Muslim, a Buddhist, or a Hindu does it. That is the power of religion. It's a religious spirit. It feeds the pride of man. And pride is a powerful driving force in the human psyche. It's the power of religion. It's the same spirit of pride that caused Lucifer to think that he could exalt himself above the throne of God. You know, all the world religions, all the major world religions, except Christianity, are basically three-dimensional. Upward in prayer towards God, inward in some form of self-denial and devotion, and outward towards our fellow man. The problem with that three-dimensional aspect is that fact that all three of those things can be seen by men. Only man looks on the outer appearance. God looks on your heart. That is why Jesus said, When you give alms, do not sound the trumpet as the hypocrites do, for they love to be seen by men. That is why Jesus said, When you pray, go into your secret closet of prayer. Why? He wasn't forbidding public prayer. What he was forbidding was the pretense that can often associate itself with public prayer. The problem arises because of our natural human tendency toward loving the praise of men. So, it's that spirit that gives all false religion its power for morality. It's pride. Men love to be thought of as deeply spiritual men by other men. That is the power of religion. That pride is so powerful, it will cause people to murder in the name of God. I think of the verse where Jesus said the day will come when those who kill you, when those who murder you, think they do God a service. We must learn to see ourselves as we really are, and not by comparing ourselves by ourselves. The only standard that counts is to compare ourselves against the perfect standard, which is found in Jesus Christ. We must declare war on pride. We must love God and hate sin. Knowing the word of God is not knowing Knowing the Word of God is not knowing the God of the Word. Bible knowledge is not an end in itself, but the means to an end. Right doctrine does not guarantee a right heart. The Pharisees rejected Jesus because he didn't fit their theology. You can hold to orthodox theology while missing the real meaning of that theology. Without love, my friend, you are nothing. You can know the words and miss the message. To many, it's become academic rather than spiritual and practical and real. 
Don't forget the old adage, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. In 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul, to his young protege Timothy, said, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion wanting to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. I'm also reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 beginning in verse 1 where we read, Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. Knowledge in and of itself means nothing. There are people who have so many degrees they don't have any temperature left. In the spiritual realm, it's not how much you know, but how much you apply that counts. Doctrinally, we must discern between the negotiable doctrinally we must discern between the negotiable and the non negotiables. We must major on the major and minor on the minors. Was it Wesley who said in essentials unity, in non essentials liberty, in all things charity? That is a great rule to live by. In essentials, we must be united. In, in non-essentials, there must be liberty. And in all things, love. We must, we must be constant learners, not theological know-it-alls. We must show humility about what we do know, knowing we have more to learn as servants of Christ. In Matthew 23.10, Take to heart, and do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. You know, when it comes to franchises and business, they say one of the hardest things about owning a janitorial service is having to tell other people what you do for a living. Pride is an incredible thing. Never resort to ungodly methods to promote our theology, such as ridicule, name-calling, slander, or deception. And never forget that questions are not to be feared. Questions are meant to challenge us and make us think. Questions are more often powerful than answers. Many have become so confident in their knowledge of the Bible, they've become untouchable and unteachable. Pharisees knew their Bibles, but not its author. Do you know it's possible to apply the scriptures to life by the power of self-discipline, by personality, or of positive reinforcement, all of which is devoid of God's Spirit? The show must go on. You know, in America, we have a circus called Barnum and Bailey. They advertise by calling themselves the greatest show on earth. The fact is, 
religion has more followers who pay far more money and are far more serious than the performers in the circus. The show goes on every day all around the world, but the major productions are on Friday for the Muslim, Saturday for the Jew, and Sunday for the Christian. It's no wonder that Islam and Hinduism are such powerful forces. Three of the five pillars of Islam are almsgiving, public prayer five times a day, and fasting during Ramadan. Hinduism focuses on the way of works, the way of knowledge, and the way of devotion. In Matthew 5, Jesus asks the question, What is our motive and our deeds of devotion? Are they being offered to people? Or are they being offered to God? Look at prayer, for example. Is the hypocrisy of the Pharisees in praying to be seen by men any greater than our hypocrisy today? We say we believe in prayer, but do we pray? The least attended meeting in virtually every church across the board is the prayer meeting. What is condemned is thoughtless, mechanical, vain prayer. God wants communion. God wants fellowship. God wants love. God wants closeness. He wants intimacy, not empty words, and not begging to improve our civil conveniences. The Lord's Prayer calls us to exalt God to His rightful place. The Lord's Prayer acknowledges the greatness of God. It longs to honor His name, the coming of His kingdom, and the doing of His will. The solution to pretense in public prayer is to answer the question, does the time, pen, does the time spent in public prayer exceed the time you spend in private prayer? Friend, if you don't have a genuine, sincere, private prayer life, you really have no business praying publicly. You run the risk of falling into the same traps the Pharisees did. Your public prayer life should never exceed the time spent alone with God. When you're praying in public, are you praying to God or the people within your listening range? Check your motives for what you're asking for. Look at giving. The motive determines the reward. Why are you giving? Are you giving with joy? Or is it under compulsion? Are you giving grudgingly? Because God loves a cheerful giver. If we can't learn to give cheerfully, you'd be better off keeping your money than playing the part of the hypocrite. Another major stronghold is tradition. Traditions are everywhere and influence almost everything we do. If you doubt the power of tradition, try changing one, one in your church sometime. One man defined it this way. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Traditions can be good as long as they're not confused with God-given commands. We must never forget the human origin of traditions and resist the deep-seated urge to grant them divine status. Scripture, not tradition, is the final test of truth. Today, many Christians have an unbalanced view of separation from the world. 1 Corinthians says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. 
And 2 Corinthians six seventeen says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The key to understanding this is found in a clear understanding of what the Bible means by worldliness. Verse 16 speaks of lust, greed, and pride. Worldliness is the life pursuit of pleasure, possessions, and things that will satisfy my need for the praise of men. Worldliness is more a matter of my worldview rather than who I am or where I go. The Pharisees thought Jesus was against the law and was trying to destroy the Jewish religion. Why? Because he didn't come from their schools and he wasn't under their authority. Instead of teaching from authority, he was teaching with authority. I'm reminded of when the Pharisees sent the, the temple guards to go arrest Jesus. And they came back empty-handed and the Pharisees said, where is he? And the temple guard said, we never heard a man speak like this before. He speaks with authority, not like you hypocrites. His associations? He was the friend of tax collectors and sinners, which proved that the inner truth of the law had not penetrated the hearts of the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Have a good friend who was on staff at a megachurch. He was a naturally gifted speaker. He was not trained in a theological seminary. He was a Bible beaver, and he had a passion for preaching the holiness and the glory of God. And once or twice a year, this pastor allowed him to have the pulpit. And the second time that this man preached, the church itself ordered more tapes of his sermon than any of the senior pastor had ever sold. The senior pastor became enraged that somebody without any formal theological training could outshine him in the pulpit, and he never got over it. He persecuted my friend for years, but he let him have the pulpit again, and this time he preached a sermon that had that broke all previous records by anyone who had ever spoken there. And the pastor became so jealous and so enraged, he tried to destroy this man, his ministry, and his family. He told the entire congregation a number of lies and publicly disfellowshipped him without ever giving him the opportunity to tell his story to the elders or to the congregation. The pain that this man and his family suffered, the humiliation, the embarrassment before thousands of people 
as this pastor got up and lied through his teeth about this young man, that is a class the leaven of the Pharisees. That is what Jesus warned us to avoid. I want to thank you for listening to today's broadcast. This is Brother Phil with another edition of Speaking the Truth in Love. Today we talked about the bitterness and the jealousy and the self-righteousness that drives the religious spirit the very thing that Jesus hated, the very thing that God hates. The fact is God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Friends, you can be wrong about a lot of things, but if you're wrong about the doctrine of salvation and how God has provided for man to get into heaven, you are wrong enough to spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus was either who he said he was, or he was a liar, or he was a lunatic. Any religion that says he's a great prophet couldn't be any farther from the truth. We beg you today, call upon God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and ask him to reveal the truth of who the true and the living God is to you. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. Have a fruitful day.